Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have given your only Son to be for us a sacrifice for sin and also an example of godly life. Give us grace to receive thankfully the fruits of his redeeming work and to follow daily in the blessed steps of his most holy life through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their born offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. The word of the Lord. Psalm appointed for this Sunday is Psalm 67. We will read it responsibly by whole verse. May God be merciful to us and bless us. Show us the light of his countenance and come to us. Let your ways be known upon earth, your saving health among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity, and you guide all the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has brought forth her increase. May God, our own God, give us his blessing. May God give us his blessing, and may all the ends of the earth stand in awe of him. Our second lesson is a reading from Paul's letter to the Romans. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that, by the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may be merciful to all. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached him and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, 
both will fall into the pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. Then he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre of Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and, shout, and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Life is wrapped in story. The content of our lives and the particulars of our identity are formed inside of communal narration. Much of our knowledge of ourselves, perhaps all of it, and the identities we have constructed over the course of our lives comes to us from the stories we are told about who we are and who we are supposed to be. Before you even have the capacity to speak, you are being told about yourself, your body, your appearance, your personality, who you favor and the aptitudes you present. Life is wrapped in story. This, of course, works the other way as well. We come to identify and categorize other people based on the communal narration we have received, stories revealing the identities of not only ourselves, but also those who are around us, those who are other, and those who are according to the story on the outside. Learning who we are through the stories we are told is not sinister in and of itself. It is part of what it means to be a creature, that we are in control of neither our beginning nor our ending, but rather we arrive in the middle of the story every time. You did not bring yourself into the world and you do not know your end. We are by nature in the middle of things, in the middle of the story from the start. So it is with our gospel reading this morning. We happen upon a story that has been going on for a long time, one where communal storytelling informs distinct identities and creates social and political barriers between people. It also creates ways of determining belonging, who gets to be in and who must remain outside. I've spoken often before about the importance of remembering our Gentile identity as the church. It is one of the gravest heresies of the church's history that it has imagined itself as replacing Israel in the eyes of God and therefore becoming the new people of God over and against the people of Israel. The fancy word for this is supersessionism, but it basically names 
the tendency that Christians have shown to imagine themselves now in the place Israel once held in God's covenant. I cannot stress enough that this is a heresy, and it is the precursor to countless heinous acts against Jewish people now and throughout Christian history. The failure, it seems, comes from a kind of amnesia that forgets our Gentile beginnings. The majority of Christians, of course, are not Jewish people, and anyone who is not Jewish is by definition a Gentile. Paul's entire missionary effort is to spread the gospel among the Gentiles, those who, quote, without Christ, those who were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, as he says in Ephesians. To be a Gentile is to be on the outside of the story, on the other side of the border. This is why Jesus' border crossing into the region of Tyre and Sidon in this gospel story is so critical for us, since we Gentiles now see one of our own enter the story at this point, entering the story of Israel at its literal border. If Jesus is going to be fully human, then Jesus will also have to experience this same communal storytelling and beginning his human story from the middle. He will receive from his mother, his father, his people, and the wider Jewish tradition stories about who he is and about the people around him. Storytelling is a powerful, deeply formative force, and it is terribly difficult to imagine outside the boundaries of our stories without the help of someone, some other, who has been on its margins, even outside of it, identifying the plot holes of our story. It is telling that Matthew identifies this woman as a Canaanite, especially when Canaanites are really no longer a people group in the time of Jesus. Rather, the moniker is meant to invoke this ancient, violent relationship between the Canaanites and the Israelites, the story that Israel tells itself about who they are over and against the Canaanites. See the book of Joshua. Matthew will have us challenge that story to see the torment once inflicted upon the Canaanites in the stories of Joshua and others contrasted in the healing word of Jesus. It is not an insignificant thing that Jesus effectively calls this woman a dog. It should rightly trouble us. Jesus seems to have adopted the story of his people with all of its inherent ideas, assumptions of border and belonging. I have come only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This Canaanite woman is simply not from Israel, and she therefore lies outside the boundary of what he knows to be his vocational territory. We should not easily dismiss the apparent insult as it seems to betray one of these internalized stories Jesus likely heard shaping Israel's perception of the surrounding Gentiles. And if that is troubling to us, let it be. However much we might want to defend Jesus in this moment, the story is not very flattering of him. But if we are to follow the movement of Jesus in this story, then we ought to find our focus landing on the faithfulness of this woman. Woman, great is your faith, Jesus concludes. What is it about her response that elicits such praise from Jesus, even as Jesus has just rejected her initial request? Is it because she's resilient despite the insult? Is it her persistence? Given what I've said about the power of story and storytelling has, and the power that storytelling has over our sense of identity, 
Consider the position of this woman. We are often so caught up in this apparent insult from Jesus that we forget this woman in her own story. Certainly, she has her own religious traditions among her own people, her own practices of healing and warding off evil spirits, and her own prejudices and preconceived ideas about those Southerners in Israel. Yet she is at the point of desperation. She is seeking the healing for her daughter who is being tormented by an evil spirit. What kind of betrayal has she enacted here? What kind of apostasy? leaving the traditions and religions of her elders. Does this amount to a transgression of her own traditions, both religious and cultural? These are all questions I have as I consider her here in front of Jesus begging for the healing of her daughter. And I think these questions open up for us the substance behind her great faith. In this moment, this Canaanite woman is transgressing the boundaries of her own story finding herself perhaps in contradiction, in contention with the storytellers in her own life who have delivered her identity, her whole life, not least of whom are those storytellers from Israel who have framed her as belonging outside the covenant of promise and therefore outside the reach of this Jesus whom she has sought. Yet this Gentile woman has pressed herself into the story of Israel in desperation, imagining herself inside the story of God, the story she has overheard from the other side of the border, and drawing a sense of belonging despite every story she has heard to the contrary. Through her, we see that faith is the capacity to see and then insist upon our place inside the story of God and the identity that comes with it, even as that places us in terrible friction with every other story we have been told about ourselves. As Willie Jennings says in his lecture on Karl Barth and the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, quote, life is always about story. Faith is about God taking hold of our story and drawing it to new life. So faith opens up the possibilities of telling my story differently, not in denial, but toward a new end, toward a new life, end quote. It is no wonder that Jesus praises this woman for her great faith. She has seen herself and her daughter inside a story other than the one she has been given. She has defied the storytellers, grasping desperately for any foothold she might find in Jesus' initial dismissal and retelling the story of God in such a way that includes her own nourishment from the table. This kind of faith is astounding, courageous, and creative, insistent upon the boundless, borderless mercy of God against a lifetime of witness to the contrary. And for all of us who are Gentiles, we find ourselves in this woman's story as she carves out a place for us at the table, (coughs) insisting that the story of God is more determinative for her than any other story she has been told about herself, about Israel, 
and about their mutual belonging. We are all her daughter, suffering yet healed by the Lord, the son of David, because of this woman's great faith. So many of us know how difficult it is to do what this woman has done to challenge the stories we have been told about ourselves and about other people. I hear from so many who find the story of God and their place in it to be in deep conflict with the stories they've been told about God and about who they are and about who people are around them. Some people call this deconstruction, some people call it doubt, questioning, etc. But when I'm privileged to see these moments and hear these stories, I see in this struggle the challenge that faith brings to the storytellers. The friction caused when so many of you insist upon the mercy and the goodness of God against an exclusive and harmful narration of the Christian story. The stories we have been told about ourselves and others are powerful, and they draw lines around who might belong inside this story with us. You who have been called unclean or unworthy, illegal or unnatural, You who have been taught fear of the other. You who have been given a story of an exclusive God will, by your challenge of that story, carve out space for another, just as this Canaanite woman has done for us. By insisting on the story of mercy, embrace, and belonging, the very same story that joined Israel and the Gentiles in the body of Jesus. We begin that retelling of the story here in this liturgy when you approach the altar to receive the sacrament. When you do that, you are told a new story about who you are becoming. When you hear the words, the body of Christ, we are not simply telling you what you, we are not simply telling you what we are giving you. We are also telling you what you are and what you are becoming. In contradiction to every story you are told about yourself by the rest of the world. You are neither consumer nor producer, boss nor employee, unclean nor unworthy, neither illegal nor unnatural, nor are you outside the border of belonging. You have a place at this table. You have a place in the household of God. You are the body of Christ. You are becoming the body of Christ. This is your story against all others. Amen. Let us stand and reaffirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Prayers of the people are form 6 on page 392. In peace we pray to you, Lord God, for all people in their daily life and work, for our families, friends, and neighbors, and for those who are alone. Remembering especially Joseph, our president, the Congress of these United States, Bill, our governor, our courts of justice, and Pat and Richard, our mayors, we pray for this community, the nation, and the world. For all who work for justice, freedom, and peace. For the just and proper use of your creation. For the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression. For all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble. For those who minister to the sick, the friendless, and the needy. For the peace and unity of the Church of God. For all who proclaim the gospel and all who seek the truth. For Justin, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Michael, our presiding bishop, Brian, our bishop, Johnny, our rector, Chris and Gordon, our deacons, and for all bishops and other ministers. For all who serve God in God's church. For the special needs and concerns of this congregation, especially Allison and family, Sister and Gordon, Becky, Carolyn, Stephanie and family, Ed, Bill, Tony, Cal, Louisa, Catherine, Randy, Lisa, Mariana, Martha, Mike, Alice and DeWitt, Dorin, Beth, Myra, Hal, John, Rick, Jay, John, Kim, Mark, Pat, Deanna, Jackson, Jonathan, Michael, Jonathan, Regina, Patricia, Van, Sarah Beth, Jason, Daryl, Mike, Gary, Charlie and Phyllis, Kim, Diane, Larry, Bunky, Matt, Richard, Susan, Harold, Caitlin, Trish, Paul, Daryl, Don, Christy, Jessica, Justin, Nora, and Robbie. Hear us, Lord, for your mercy is great. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings of this life. We will exalt you, O God, our King, and praise your name forever and ever. We pray for all who have died, that they may have a place in your eternal kingdom. Lord, let your loving kindness be upon them, who put their trust in you. We pray to you also for the forgiveness of our sins. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. In your compassion, forgive us our sins, known and unknown, things done and left undone, 
and so uphold us by your Spirit, that we may live and serve you in newness of life, to the honor and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Friends, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace, and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you, with gladness and singleness of heart, through Christ our Lord. Amen. May God the Holy Trinity make you strong in faith and love, defend you on every side, and guide you in truth and peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and abide with you always. Amen. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. <laughs>